John 14.9. John 14.9. We've been talking the last few weeks, a couple of weeks, pardon me, about God's Father heart. We're looking at how God, we've been looking at how God sees us. But in doing that, we've been looking also at how we see God, how we view God. There are so many different perspectives that people have of God. And those perspectives mostly are dictated to by experiences we've had in life, whether it be uh, authority figures over us, maybe a father, our natural father, uh, or mother, have displayed to us that that authority figure, that uh, image, that picture, I guess, of God. And there are a lot of different views and ideas and images and pictures, and if we think back in our mind to... Uh, experiences we've had growing up and you know none of us had perfect parents the reason we didn't have perfect parents was because all of our parents were human beings now if we could create children without human beings as parents we may have a better shot at giving that generation a more clearer perspective of the love of a father in other words the love of god but unfortunately we need humans god set it up in such a way that human beings are part of the process of children coming into the world. So children, I'm sorry, um, you're going to have to look at parents and as parents we do the very best we can to try to show you what God is like through the way that we interact with you, through the way we train you, the way that we discipline you, through the way that we encourage you, through the way that we provide for you. We try to give you a, a, a good picture, a great image of God. But there are so many images and pictures of God that it can be confusing and hard and part of the discipleship process is going down that journey with God, doing that walk with God, and partially deconstructing some of the old models so that God can invest himself into that and and wiping that slate clean and getting rid of the the pictures, the things that aren't meant to be there that have come about through life experience so God can repaint that picture and give us a more clearer image, (coughs) picture of God. John 14.9, Jesus makes this statement. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? And watch this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1.15 puts it this way. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all things. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So when Jesus came down to earth and there were thousands of images and idols and pictures of God, there were lots of concepts of who God was. Even within Judaism, there were different ideas about God and who the Father was. And Jesus comes down and he walks amongst the people and he makes this statement. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul, right into the Colossians, says, let me expand on that. What I'm saying to you is if you want to know what the Father looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God the Father looks like, take a good look at Jesus. So in the life of Jesus, we get a picture of what the Father looks like. We get a more clearer picture of who God is, the God that we worship. By looking at what Jesus did, looking at how Jesus held himself, looking at Jesus' teachings and so on, the way that he interacted with people. It's interesting because I think of all the ways that God could have chose to reveal himself to us and show us that he was God. I mean, let's think about it, God. We're talking an infinite, 
all knowing, all seeing, all everything being. Of all the ways that he could have chosen, he could have chosen any way possible. He could have simply lit the sky up with a big face. Now that would have got people's attention. And he could have looked down with a big face in the sky and gone, I am God. This is what I'm like. You will obey me. But he didn't do that. He could have come down as a king of a nation with an army and a sword and gone across the face of the earth and literally abolished anyone who did not want to believe in him and did not want to bow to him. But he didn't do that. He could have come in any way that he chose to communicate himself to people, yet he chose to come down as a, as a person. He chose to come in the form of a man. you know. And I think it's very symbolic that he did that because it's actually through people that we experience God. Nobody, Don't tell me when you sit in a cave by yourself reading the Bible by yourself and praying to an invisible God by yourself that you've encountered God. Don't tell me that you can put yourself in isolation and really get a full picture of the Father. Because we need each other to get that full picture. When I feel your grace, when I fall short, that's, I'm experiencing physically the invisible grace of God when I fall short, when I fail. When, 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 when I fall short and pray and say, God, forgive me, I don't always get these big feelings of relief and, and, and release and so on. I just believe by faith he forgives me. But when I say, will you forgive me? And she looks at me and goes, yes, I forgive you. And those feelings go, oh, I feel that burden. That's that visible picture of what it means to have relationship and encounter with an invisible God. So it's significant that when God wanted to reveal himself to us, he sent Jesus down, came in the form of a man. And Jesus said, if you want to know the Father, you want to see what he's like, just spend your time looking at me. Check me out. Look at me. But it's interesting, even in the church, how many of us have so many different views of God because we have been through so much in our life, because we've experienced so many things. There have been so many things that have shaped us and moulded us, the good, the bad, the ugly. I think back to my childhood and I think back to the way my mother and my father raised me and the input that they had or didn't have, the things they provided or didn't provide, the lessons they taught me or didn't teach me. The, the, the way they were with me or weren't with me, they were for me or weren't against me, the way they encouraged me or discouraged me. All those things are packed down on the inside of me and they shape this image of God. And when I read the Bible and when I, I, I come to Christ, I've got all these images and pictures. When somebody says, Father, God's a Father, I go, well, hang on, I've got a lens here. I'm going to pull the glasses out, put them on, because I'll view that through all this other stuff, this lens that's been created. I'll look at God through that. And quite often, we'll get a tainted view of God. Part of the journey of discipleship, becoming fully human again, is God unpacks some of that stuff for us so we can get a clearer and, and cleaner and fresher, more accurate picture of who God is as a father. And there are different ideas that people have about God. Next couple of weeks, I want to talk about five simple misconceptions about God and try to frame them in a language that we'll understand and frame them with imagery that we may understand. You may find that there are bits and pieces in each of these that you relate to. You go, yeah, I actually, I see God a bit that way and I see God a bit this way and so on. And that's normal. And hopefully through the process that God will begin to show you some stuff and you'll maybe begin to sit with God or sit with us and go, look here, when that came up, or I think I view God a bit that way, let's have a look at why. Because it's, if it was as easy as simply saying, well, stop seeing God like that and just choose to see him like this, we'd all be perfect. 
But we know that life doesn't work like that. We can't just stop seeing something the way we do. We need to understand why we see it, unpack that, and build another framework which helps us see things in a different light. New information doesn't change us on itself, but it allows us the opportunity to springboard towards a process of change. So we're going to have a look at, at five misconceptions about the Father. Five misconceptions about the Father over the next couple of weeks. The first one I want to look at is this. The image of God, he's a cosmic killjoy. God is a cosmic killjoy. You got that picture there, Luke? I had fun once. It was awful. Huh? I had fun once. It was awful. So many people have this view of God that he is nothing more or less than a cosmic killjoy. His sole purpose to exist is to make sure that you don't have any fun, that you don't have any enthusiasm or any joy in your life. And if you laugh, you can see that he hovers above the earth looking for anyone who's smiling so that he can come and wipe that smile off your face. Because don't you realise that you, know, you serve a holy God and, and, and how dare you enjoy your time down here? You know your home is in heaven. How can you enjoy yourself here when your home is in heaven? And so many people have this image of God. You come across it a lot when you go out into the world and you talk to people about Jesus. And they'll tell you, oh, God just wants to stop you having fun. He doesn't want me to take drugs because he doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to sleep around. He doesn't want me getting drunk. He doesn't want me doing all... Because he wants to take away all the fun like that's fun. No, no. It, you just think it's fun right now. Here's what you're doing that stuff because of how it destroys humanity, the humanity that he loves. It's got nothing to do with killing fun. God is not a cosmic killjoy. Matter of fact, I think when God comes into our world, he wants to get things going. He wants to give us joy. He wants to give us enthusiasm. He wants to move us down a road of life that people look at and go, well, now that's really living. That's really living. Those guys have got a handle on something and those guys have got a handle on life. Anyone when you went to school... Anyone ever have that teacher? You know that teacher? And you knew, you knew that the only reason that person was teaching was to make your life a living hell. Anyone ever have a teacher? You knew it. I don't care what they said. Oh, no, I'm here to educate young minds and, and lift the generation of people above where we... No, you weren't. You are simply here to make my life a living hell at school. That's all you care about. And every time you bring an assignment, they're picking it apart. Every time you, you, you look up, you, you, know, you could be sitting there at the table doing everything right. And the minute you look across at somebody, you're grounded and you're up the principles. Of, anyone ever have a teacher like that? I, I had teachers like that. And it was like, it didn't matter what I did. You're going to pick me. It's like you, you radars. Everybody in the class, they could be throwing rulers across the room. We used to get, you know, the, the dusters? Remember, we used to dust the chalkboards? We used to turn the fan on and throw them in the fan, and those dusters would go, pew, bounce all around the room, and that one, you know? But I, I would sit there and do nothing wrong. I'm not doing anything. I've got a pen in my hand. I've got the paper in front of me. I'm doing my work. All this crazy going on. And then the minute, the minute, you can see the pain. The minute I would look up and go, like this, Alan, get to the print. What? I'm de- oh, terrible. What about an employee? You ever have an employee like that? You go and work at a place and you feel like you're the target. And all they want to do is, 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 is don't you dare enjoy yourself here. You know, if, if you look like you're actually enjoying your work, they'll just pile more work on you. Ever work in a place like that? He's, he's smiling. You're smiling at work. Well, you're obviously not working hard enough. Here, I want, you, I want you to do all this extra stuff. And the whole sole purpose of their existence is to take all the joy and life and enthusiasm out of your day. That's what they want to do. 
How many people have children? Nah, not really. Kids are great. But sometimes, sometimes in my wicked moments, I feel like, God, did you put them here just to make my life a misery? Are they here because they saw me having fun? I'm sitting over here smiling, having fun and laughing, and they're going to come on in and it's all going to stop. God is not a cosmic killjoy, yet so many people have this image that he is. You see, we know God's real. We know we have to submit to him because he's there and he's God. But we also know it's not going to be a fun journey. Now, these are the kind of people that that their favorite scriptures are, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know, that's the, the one I'll quote. You, you've got to deny yourself. And, and, and taking it purely out of context, I'm not here to talk about that verse today, but the context of that is, brings meaning to that. But the, 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 anything about you enjoying this journey, anything about you having fun, it's almost like if we do have fun and we just ever have a party at your house and it's fun, you know, people are actually laughing. They're laughing. I mean, when you come to church, don't laugh because it's not what we do at church. You better not laugh. Okay, you don't laugh, you don't smile, you just come on. It's a holy moment, it's a holy place. But when you, I mean, when you get out of here, though, you can laugh and carry, oh, yeah, 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 great time. It's like you have a party at home, and it's almost like you put the, the, the God blanket over the house because I don't want God to see. I'm going to have a look out. God, no, he's not looking. Quit, quit jumping, close the door, because God can't see. Let's all laugh, and, and it'll be fun. There's this thing that thinks that if something's enjoyable, if it's fun, it can't be God. You know, when I joined youth with a mission, 19 years of age, I got saved. Six months later, I went into YWAM. You know what was amazing? The amount of Christians, because I was a new Christian, so I knew nothing. I'm just walking in. I'm a, a blank canvas going, paint me a picture of God. What's, what is God? Who is he? And people from all denominations and backgrounds. One thing that amazed me, uh, at one point there we had to pray about outreach destinations, countries that we would do three months lectures and then three months a field trip. And when we would get together and they would give us the destinations, the amount of people who would say, I don't want to... Um, uh, uh, pray about going to that place because I hate that place. And because I hate it, God will make me go there. You ever heard that? Because I don't like it, because there's nothing in me that wants to go there, God will make me go there. Because I don't like something, then God will make me do that thing. What sort of picture of God is that? Because I do want something, have a desire for something, God won't give it to me because I want it. What kind of a picture of God is that? Yet how many people sitting in churches all around our nation this morning have that view of God? That if I desire it, he won't give it to me. It's evil. I've got to squash my desires and you know, get rid of all that stuff. And, and, and the more sold out to God I am, the more somber I must become. You know, The most godly people are the most sober. The most godly people are the ones who, the, the, the corners of their mouth don't go up or down. They just... Straight across. Control themselves. They're the most godly people. I don't know about that. I'm not quite sure. You know, I love the story in the Gospels where Jesus is sitting around and he's got, he's got his disciples there. It just come to me now when we're talking, but he's got his disciples there and he's talking to them about, uh, you know, don't be uh, like this people and don't be like that people. God will treat you, uh, you know, uh, the, the Pharisees, they treat the tax gatherers this way and sinners that way and all this stuff. And he's got Matthew sitting there. Matthew's a tax gatherer. He's a tax collector. And at one point there, he goes, oh, uh, if, if, if these people misbehave, we'll treat them like you would a, a, you know, a prostitute or a sinner or a tax gatherer. 
Now Matthew's sitting there and I can I don't know what your picture is, but I, I can imagine Jesus sitting there going, Yeah, talking to the disciples, look, if this happens, treat them like that or that. Then looking at Matthew and going, Hey boys, watch this. Or a tax collector, you know? And all the disciples having a bit of a laugh. I think Jesus would have been fun. I think Jesus would have been okay to hang around. I think God's okay with us actually enjoying things and having a bit of fun in life. You know, if God didn't want us to enjoy life, why did he give us taste buds? Why can you eat food and go, oh. hey, Turn to the person next to you and show them the face you do when you eat your favourite drink. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> you know? Oh, I love it. Mint chocolate biscuits. I just go, oh, it's a beautiful. I love it. Why would he give us taste buds if he didn't want us to enjoy food? Why would he give us eyesight? Why, why, why would we not just be floating around like a spirit? Why, why, why have we got eyes? Why can we see things? Why can we distinguish colours? You know, why can we look at the beauty around us? Why can we see a beautiful sunset, a beautiful sunrise, a beautiful woman, a beautiful... Do you see how I slip that in? <laughs> we were married 22 years yesterday. We went out last night and celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. So, Thank you. Why would God give us all these things? If he was really a cosmic killjoy. Now, one of my favourite stories in the Bible is in John chapter 10. It actually begins in John chapter 9. But in John 10, 10, we all know the verse. Thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I have come that you may have life. And life wasn't enough. He said, no, no, I don't want you to stop at life. I want to give you an abundant life. John 10, 10. Now, that story actually begins in John chapter 9. We won't go there because it's a long story. Right back at the beginning of John chapter 9, there's a guy who Jesus comes to and heals. The guy's so pumped and excited about this that he obviously goes around cheering and praising God because of what had happened. The Bible says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they got him and they put him in a dark room and, and there was a table there, apparently, and there was a lamp. You know, they've seen those movies in, in, in the dark room and he's sitting on a chair and they've got the lamp in his face and they're banging on the, on the, on the table going, tell me who healed you, tell me who did this. And he's going, it was Jesus, this dude called Jesus. And they're going, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Blah, 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 all this stuff. And he goes, look, I can't tell you anything other than I was blind, now I can see. I was blind, now I can see. I couldn't see, now I can, because a dude called Jesus came and put his hands on me and healed me. And they're in an uproar about it. They called his parents in and said, come on, tell us this can't be true. And the parents went, well, we don't want to get involved in this because we know it's going to happen. We, We stand with our son, we get excommunicated out of the church as well. So, hey, he's of age. Keep us out of it and you talk to him. So they go back to him. What happened? He goes, look, I was blind now I can see. I don't know anything else other than that. Can you imagine how excited you would be about that? I was blind but now I can see. The excitement that this guy had. So excited they pulled him in and they interrogated him. And then they turned to the guy and they go, well, this can't be God because it happened on Sunday. Or Saturday. What? Well, everybody knows God doesn't do work on that day. It's every man for himself, isn't it? You know? Isn't that right? God has a day of rest, so that means that Sunday's a day of rest, so God rests because God wouldn't tell us to do something he's not doing. Therefore, if you've got a need today, don't take it to him. He's not listening. He's not there. Put, it, what, it, what it'll do, leave a message because on Monday he goes back into the office, he checks his messages, and he'll get back to you. That's, isn't that what happens on your day off? You don't, you know, stay away. He's not on the email, so don't write him an email. Don't, don't ring his mobile. He switches it off. You get a message back, just leave a message, and when God gets time, he'll get to it. And he'll go through the list and prioritise it, and he'll, you know, he'll get to it eventually. Eventually he'll get an answer, some help. And this guy's going, well, I don't really understand any of that. All I know is this, I was blind, now I can see. 
And you know what they did? They said, right, you are now out of the church. Boom. And they kicked him out of the synagogue. Kicked him out of the synagogue. Why? Because God did something in his life and he was excited about it. He had joy and enthusiasm about God because of a miracle that took place in his life. And the reaction of the church was, well, we don't need your type in here. You don't seem to understand that God is a cosmic killjoy. God's not here to put enthusiasm and a joy into you. How dare you clap your hands and be excited about the work of God? Who do you think you are? That's, whoever did this is obviously not our God because our God doesn't make you enthusiastic and joyful. That's not what our God does. And they kick him out of the church. John chapter 10, the Bible says Jesus went looking for him. Jesus, it says, when he heard what happened to the man, he goes looking for him. And when he finds him, a crowd gathers and he starts to talk to this guy. He looks at the crowd and he goes, you know what? The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. The enthusiasm, the joy that this man has picked up because God's done something amazing in his life and it's been stolen from him. The thief does that. The thief were the religious leaders and the religious systems. See, the big thief is religious thinking. That's, that's the ultimate thief. It's religious thinking. It's mindsets about God. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. I came to give you life in its abundance. I came to give you joy. I came to give you enthusiasm. You know, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos. literally means in God. In God. So if you are in God then you should be enthusiastic about that. In God means enthusiastic. It's okay to be excited about what God is doing in your life. It's okay to be excited about what God is doing in the world. God is for joy. God is for enthusiasm. This is who God is and this is what he wants us to get a hold of. He wants us to understand. See, some of us were brought up in homes where... And I, was, I, was, I did this all the time as a child. I always had wild ideas. I mean, where the Bible says that, you know, that God can, can do exceedingly abundantly, but we can ask or think. In the original Hebrew text, it says, except for Alan, because his brain's right out there. It's there. Learn Hebrew and you'll find it. Because my brain just, woof, was way out there. And I would come up with the stupidest things and I would come up with the stupidest ideas of why this thing would work. And I mean, I'm only five, six years of age. And I'm saying to my parents, can we go over and visit my cousin? My mum and dad were together at the time. He lives on the other side of Sydney. This was before they had M1s and M5s and M2s and M&Ms, you know. So I'm saying, we can make it, we can do it. And my dad's trying to say to me, look, we can't because it's going to take us three hours to get over there where they live. And then we're only going to have a little bit of time and then I've got to drive three hours back. And, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of money and the fuel and, and I've got to get up early for all these, all valid reasons, good reasons, but I would, I would be able to come up with a way why all those reasons were wrong. Oh, no, but, 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 but why don't we just stay there tonight and then tomorrow morning we can get up and then we'll come home early and you can go to work. All, all these things. I was always full of energy, enthusiasm and, and trying to, to, to say, you know, oh, Dad, we can, why don't we build this car out of nothing? Or why don't we, or, some of them were stupid. But the way that it was handled for me was I was just shut down. Every time I got excited about something, I'd be shut down. Every time I'd get a bit of joy about something, somebody would pour water on it. So after a while, your emotions tend to go underground and you just build up this ideology of life that it's no point getting excited about something because it's not going to happen. 
No point getting excited about something because it's not going to come to pass. Because every time I got excited, it was killed. Every time I got enthusiastic about something, it would just get killed. When opportunities would come along after a while, I just wouldn't even bother bringing those opportunities to the people that could help make them happen. Because I thought, well, it's not going to happen. What's the point? You know what's really sad? I see a lot of that in myself with my own kids. I see a lot of that out playing. My kids, I, I see in my kids a little bit of that enthusiasm at times. And, and some of us would call it stupidity because it's just so stupid what you're suggesting is so dumb. But then I hear this voice in my head going, Alan, you would have said the same thing. Matter of fact, you would have made it even dumber. <laughs> and I would have. And that's just this week. And I see the same process recycling itself again. You know? And I look at my kids and I think, God, help me to walk away from that thing, God. I can see where it came in, Lord. Let's do some work together and let's unpack that a bit more because I'm reflecting God to them. And, and, and in those moments, what I'm saying to them is when you're enthusiastic and excited and joyful about something, that God's got a cap on it. You know, you can, have, you can be enthusiastic to a point, but don't, go, you know, don't, be, don't get too carried away with this stuff. You know? You ever seen people, I'm sure everybody in this room would have seen people at some point, young people that come to faith in Christ and their world is radically transformed. You know, when I got saved, every single one of my friends, every one of my friends, I brought them to church in the space of a couple of weeks. I had a pretty big friend base. I had probably five or six really core guys, guys that would never, ever go to church. They'll never walk into the doors of a church. But you know what? I got them to come to church with me. I got them to come to church with me in the first couple of weeks of being saved. Why? Because I was so enthusiastic about what I believed that they looked at it and went, it's like being so excited about the best meal you've ever had, the best restaurant you've ever been to. And you know, you ever have that? And you, and, and you tell people about that restaurant. And you're energetic about it, and there's passion there, and you're joyful about it, and you're enthusiastic about it because it's the best. Oh, I've never had a sausage like it. it you know, the Cessna Casino has the best bangers and mash. You won't get any better. Oh, and that's true, by the way. They are fantastic. Go, if you love bangers and mash, go to the Cecil at Casino. It's a great thing. It's awesome. And I was kind of like that. When we start out, we're like that with our faith, and we're like that. We're, we're enthusiastic in God. There's joy, there's enthusiasm. But then after a while, and we've all heard it said, oh, these young people, oh, they'll get over that. You ever heard that? Oh, they'll get over it. They've, they've just got saved. They'll get over it. And you know what's really sad? We do. <laughs> we do. We get over it. I brought more people to church, as in into a church, in the first probably six months to 12 months of my faith. Because I wasn't sitting there going, well, hang on a second. I don't have to like the music. Probably not their style, you know. Yeah, probably there's too many older people here. I don't want to bring them along. They might think that be Christian, become a Christian when you're older or, you know, they might sit next to that person. That person really smells. They don't bath a lot. I don't want them to come. I know that person over there is just going to grab them and get in their ear and going to freak them out and they're, never going, to, they're going to think I'm like that and they're not going to be my friend. Analyse and think it through all and stuff like that. You know, When I first got saved, I just thought, I love Jesus. I'm really joyful, enthusiastic about what he's done. I'll bring you to church and God will take care of the rest. And they did. They came. But after a while, I got over it, which is really, really sad. 
I think God wants us to maintain that stuff. So, very quickly, before we finish, quick question. Did Jesus reveal the Father as a cosmic killjoy? When you look at Jesus, do you see Jesus when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now let me show you a cosmic killjoy. When I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see a cosmic killjoy. There's a story in John chapter 2. Jesus' first ever miracle where he turns water into wine. Everyone know the story? turns water into wine. He's at a party. His mother's there. His mother comes up to him and goes, Hey, Jay. She called him Jay. She said, Hey, Jay. It was her son, you see. It wasn't her son. Hey, Jay. They're just about out of wine. And Jesus looks at his mum and goes, What's that got to do with me? And then his mother goes to the servants. He goes, Whatever he says, do it. And I can see Jesus go, Okay, mum. Honor thy father and mother, I get it. Okay, go take those water pots over here, fill them with water, bring them back, take a ladle. And they take, it, and they take the wine to the guy uh, hosting the party or whatever, and he, the guy tastes the wine, he goes, this is amazing. Because normally you bring out the good wine first, then when everyone's sort of feeling a bit happy and tipsy, then you, you give them Jacob's Creek. <laughs> you know? Sorry if you enjoy Jacob's Creek. We had a name for it when I worked at Dan Murphy. And so they bring that out, you see? But he said, you've done the opposite. You're, you're bringing out the, the squid ink. Now, you see? Bringing out the good stuff. Secondly, and I often think about that, and I've read a million commentaries on that and heard a thousand people give me their versions of why God did that. And you know what? I wonder whether it's not a lot more simple than what we think. Maybe for the very first thing that Jesus did, the very first miracle he did, maybe he just simply wanted to communicate to the world, when I get involved in anything, that's when the party starts. That's not when it ends. Don't be an alive, enthusiastic human being and think when you come to God, God is now a cosmic killjoy. You need to lose that enthusiasm, lose that life, lose that passion in order to become Christian and become religious and follow God. I think what he's saying is when I get involved in something, the party starts there. It doesn't finish it begins in that moment. And I think that's what God wants to say. I think that's the heart of the Father. When he gets involved in our world, that's when we find true joy. That's when we find true passion. That's when we find true enthusiasm. It reminds me of a story I, I read about a, an Irish priest actually in America. He was driving along to Connecticut. He got pulled over for speeding. And the conversation went like this. Um, the, the police officer uh, says to, the, to the, the father, he says, have you been drinking? Because there's a wine bottle on the floor of the car. He says, have you been drinking? And the priest looks up and goes, just water? The officer points, he goes, then why do I smell wine on you? The priest looks down at the bottle, wine on the floor. He goes, oh, good Lord, he's done it again. (laughs) He's done it again. You know, I think God wants passion in his people. And I don't think that God gets frustrated with us when there's joy and enthusiasm. Matter of fact, I think God wants it. Here's the thing. If I believe God's a cosmic killjoy, and I live my life with that basis of God, that he's not really into me having fun, having a bit of a laugh, being enthusiastic about it. If I think that, realistically, do you think anybody out there would want to follow that God? I'd look at you and go, you know what, I'm depressed enough without joining your mob. I'm joyless enough without wasting an hour and a half on a morning, hanging out with you guys, having what you've got. We don't need that. God's not a cosmic killjoy. He never has been. Luke 15, 7. 
In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others. There's joy in heaven when someone gets saved. Jesus prayed, he said, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. There's joy in heaven when God involves himself in somebody's life. The Bible says that there's joy in that. Zephaniah 3.17, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is mighty saviour. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. Watch this. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Right now, God is joyful over you. God's actually got a bit of joy and enthusiasm for you right now. Yeah, he's up there moving it. You're looking down going, Rob, this is Rob. Yeah, R- R- Rob. I love Rob. I love Rob. Yeah, that's what he's up there doing right now. Hey? Jenny. Jenny. I love my Jenny. I love my Jenny. This is God. This is the joy, the enthusiasm that God has. He's not sitting up there with a robe on, just sitting down, just looking down, going, as soon as I see a little bit of fire... I was going to put it all out because I just want a bunch of sober, level-headed people who are not too crazy, not too wild, not too happy, not having too much joy. I don't want that kind of people representing me down there. What will that make me look like? Well, it might make you look like God. It might make you look like the one who said, I've come to give you abundant life. That's what you might look like. That's what you might look like. I'm prepared to take that chance because I believe that's actually who he is. Just in finishing right now, very quickly, four problems with a killjoy image. First of all, it limits our ability to be excited about the things of God, just like the blind man that was healed. When we think God is a killjoy, it will limit your enthusiasm for God. You won't want to get excited when God does things in your life. You'll be sceptical about it. You won't want to share it. You'll be embarrassed maybe by it. You'll find other reasons to not get too excited about it. We limit our excitement when God does when God does something in your life, that's the creator of the universe doing something. That's worth getting excited about. That's worth getting excited about. Amen? Second thing, it limits our ability to be excited about the rest of life. Can I tell you something? When you're not reading your Bible, praying, or going to church, or fasting, God is still okay with you. What? Doesn't he switch off at that moment? Just switch off and go, well, when you get older again, I'll come back. But If it's not reading your Bible, praying, fasting, or sharing your faith, it's not sin. Not sin. Because of that mentality, man, we've got religions that don't celebrate birthdays or Christmas. You can't have parties and you can't do this and you can't do that because it's not honouring to God. Where is this rubbish coming from? I mean, the Jewish nation, when God set up the Jewish nation, he gave them seven feasts in a year. It wasn't a suggestion. You have to, if you're interested, I'm going to give you seven opportunities to party. He says, you're going to party seven times a year. I'm going to put it in the law. You have to have seven parties a year. And I'm not just talking a, a two-hour evening with your mates. They're going to travel from all over the known world and you are going to party for a week, two weeks. This is God. This is what he said to the Jewish people. All these celebrations. It's, it, I thought India was crazy with public holidays. You read the Old Testament. It's like, did you guys ever work? All they did is have parties. Because God is a God of joy and a God of celebration. And he wants his people to reflect that. He wants us to be that way. Thirdly, when we have a killjoy image of God, it limits our ability to be fully human. We were made with emotions. Emotions are a good thing. Some believers think that we've got to now, now we've come to faith. We deny pain. And at the same time as we deny pain, we deny the excitement of life. Feelings are good. 
Emotions are good. We don't get led by them. They're indicators. They communicate to us things that are going on, how we feel about things. You know? And they communicate back to God. We turn those emotions back to God and we give Him in worship and so on. Emotions are a good thing, but if we have a killjoy image of God, we suppress our emotions because we don't want to be real. We don't want to get excited. We don't want to acknowledge pain, hurt, discomfort, whatever. And finally, when we have a killjoy image of God, it limits our witness to the world. A world that's already lacking joy and enthusiasm. To me, that's, the, that's a shattering thought that there are people out there going, you know, we can, we can party and laugh and everything, but if I get involved with you mob, it's all over. Exactly. Exactly right. I get involved with you guys. Gosh, my life is going to... Yeah, look, I might make it into heaven, but is it, is it worth the trade-off? I mean, I'm going to go into heaven, but I'm not there yet. Can't I just make things right on a deathbed? Because, gosh, do I really want to get hooked up with you guys? It's terrible. Let's stand to our feet. Did Jesus reveal a killjoy, cosmic killjoy to us? I think it's pretty clear when I read the word of God, the answer is no. He did not. He did not. Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to be here again, to gather together. God, to worship you. God, to uh, take communion together to remember the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And uh, Father, also, Lord, to, to open up your word and to have a look at it. And God, I pray, Father, that as this week unfolds, Lord, I pray that we would celebrate something, God. We would get excited and enthusiastic about something, God. Lord, I pray for uh, each of us here, God, that we would go to our cupboards and we would pull out that, you know, that china set you've got in the cupboard, the one that you keep for a special occasion, <laughs> waiting for us. You know what? Today is a special occasion. You're alive. God's at work. He's doing things in your world. He's saving people, healing people. Today is a pretty special occasion. And God, I pray this week that, Father, we would celebrate and, uh, uh, you, God, and we would celebrate the, the life that you've given to us, Lord. God, I pray if there's anything inside of us that struggles with that, Lord, things that, that struggle with, with, with letting joy out or, or enthusiasm out, God, maybe like me, maybe there are people here, and as, as we grew up, Father, we, we had... Every time we had an idea, every time we got excited about something, it was squashed. Lord, that, that little candle wick was put out. And God, it does something inside of us. It, it hurts us. It causes pain, Lord, whether we want to admit it or not. It, it reshapes us. It, it stops us being the people you want us to be, and it stops us seeing you for who you really are as well, God. Lord, I pray if there's people here with that, God, that this week they would explore that stuff with you. And maybe with, with somebody else too, God, they'd... Sit down and talk to somebody and say, look, this is what I was thinking out of this week's message. So, Father, I just commit all that to you, God. I pray for each of us as we leave, God. Be with us in the next seven days. Watch over us, God. Keep us safe. And, Father, give us an opportunity this week to uh, reveal Jesus to somebody out there that does not know you, Father. And we all prayed. Amen. Amen. God bless, guys. We'll uh, see you during the week in connect groups or on the streets in a good way run into each other hopefully not in our cars